I uh, read a funny quote this week, and, and it, it, just, it just made me laugh. Everyone knows the popular song, Jesus Take the Wheel. Matter of fact, when my kids drive me nuts, sometimes I quote it. But this is the quote. Jesus doesn't need to take the wheel. He needs us to pull over so he can beat us with his flip-flop. <laughs> I read that and I laughed and I thought, man, there have been some times he's needed me to pull over. <laughs> Amen. And the main point that that little funny saying is trying to bring out is that we need a course correction. Not just a swerving of the wheel or getting out of the way, but an actual redirection. And sometimes we need to pull over and evaluate where we are. Take spiritual inventory of our life. And take a good look at where we are spiritually today compared to where we were yesterday. Because, brother, if you are in the same place you were today than the day you first got saved, I will say to you, you need to pull over. Because you need to have a real conversation with yourself about where you're going with Christ and what Christ is allowed to do and accomplish in your life. See, what I'm talking about this morning means the difference between mediocrity or greatness in our lives and we could settle for mediocrity we could come to church and go through the motions and just flow through and just kind of guide through and we will just simply get the same thing we put into it nothing and there are times that people put nothing into their spiritual life and then they say God where are you at how come you didn't help me why isn't things blossoming for me how come you haven't brought me through something or how come this didn't begin in my life I expected more when the truth is is there needs to be maybe a course redirection a pulling over so that you can have an honest conversation between you and the Lord about where you're at spiritually a redirection. And I can tell you that I've seen many people settle for mediocrity when God is offering greater things. God can part Red Seas. Amen? God can deliver. Amen? God can heal the sick. Amen? God still gloriously fills with the Holy Ghost. Amen? God's gifts, His spiritual gifts, according to uh, 1 Corinthians, is still in operation in the church. Amen? All these things are true, but we as Christians settle for less than what God wants us to embrace. And so I have, I have just simple, simple thoughts today uh, to help redirect us. Because we can sit back in mediocrity and just get comfortable. Come on now. We could sit back and just let the preacher get, get excited. Let the praise and worship leader get excited. Let everybody that does leadership in the church be excited. But, but do you know that there needs to be a fire not just in the leadership. It needs to be in you too. Amen. It needs to be in you too. And so I want to just take a moment and try to redirect 
away from some trends that tend to happen in the church. And trend number one is this. Jesus doesn't need fans, he needs followers. There are many people who are a fan of who Jesus is. They have no problem coming to church and clapping their hands and saying amen and thank you Lord. But there's a difference between a fan and a follower. A fan sits in the stands and applauds what's going on out there and they do not participate or know or even get close to the person who is participating in it. It's one thing for you to watch someone else burn for Jesus. It's another thing altogether for you to burn for Jesus. Amen? One great preacher, they asked him, they said, why are people coming to listen to you preach? He said, they're coming to watch me burn. That's why they're coming. And I tell you, I'll tell you right now, it's okay to watch other people burn for the Lord. But I'm telling you, the greatest thing that you can ever do is set aside your agendas and your purpose and all that you are in your own life and say, Father, I'm done being a fan of Jesus. I'm done just knowing about Jesus. I want to dedicate myself to be a follower. I want to do what he says to do. Jesus wasn't looking for people who only wanted him for fishes and loaves. He needed people who would follow him to a cross. This is why Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. You are more than a fan when you pick up the cross. When it means your struggle and you still love him even though you struggle. When you still follow him, even though everyone else doesn't. Can I tell you, followers will follow Jesus into lion's dens. Followers will follow Jesus into the pits of the world and still love God, even if the pits of the world hurt them. Followers of Jesus will follow the Lord all the way into fiery furnaces, into the depths of Pharaoh's kingdom. Follow them into the Red Sea. Follow him into the wilderness. Follow him out into the desert where there's no food or substance for life. They will follow him all the way to the cross. They'll follow him through a risen, a, a resurrection, and they'll follow him afterwards. But fans are just sitting back and applauding at everything that's happening. Can I tell you, don't come here to just applaud what Jesus is doing. Be a part of what Jesus is doing. One of my favorite passages in the scripture, I have many of you. Some of you ask me, what's my favorite verse? It just depends on the week. Because the truth is, I, 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 the word of God speaks to me every single day. But one of the things that, one of the verses that stands out most in my mind is in the gospel of John when they're at the wedding of Canaan. And I'm baffled by it because I wonder what's in the mind of Mary, the mother of Jesus. Because she says to Jesus, we've ran out of wine. And Jesus says, what am I to do about that? My time ain't come. That's not my business. I'm not even, I'm just here, Jesus says. And Mary looks at everyone and makes this startling statement. She said, whatever he tells you to do, do it. And in my mind, I'm thinking two things. She knows something about that man. She knows he's special beyond just anything else. He has the authority to do something about it. 
Nobody else had the money. Nobody else had the resources. And Jesus didn't even have finances or money in the bank to go out and buy more wine. He just simply created it out of the water that was there. Why? Because he has the authority to do so. Mary was more than a fan of who he was. Now, I, I, I really like this book from Kyle Eidelman. I, he wrote a book, Not a Fan. I recommend it. It's, it's, it's worth reading. I stole some points. I'm going to give them to you, okay? These, are, these come from his book, and I found them to be perfect for us. There's, this is the difference between being a fan and a follower, okay? The difference of being a fan and a follower. Number one, if you're a fan, it's you have the knowledge about him. But you have no intimacy with him. So the difference between a fan and a follower is knowledge about him or intimacy with him. And so I say to you, ask yourself, do you have knowledge but no intimacy? Because if you have knowledge without intimacy with the Lord, potentially you're a fan. Number two, he's one of many or my one and only. Because a lot of people have no problem adding Jesus to the pot. Hey, let's put a little Jesus in our mix here. You know, we got, we got all this other business going on. We got all this other stuff going on. We got all these other relationships. We got all this other uh, life events going on. But hey, let's put a little Jesus in our life events. Let me tell you something. Jesus wants to be your only life event. He wants to be all in all. Are you following me? He wants you to die to yourself. Understand Understand the invitation. The invitation is not come and, 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 just, and, and just be yourself and, and that's it. No, come and die to who you are is the invitation and let Christ live in you. Paul put it this way. He said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. So he's not living his own life. He said, in the life which I now live in the flesh, I live according to him. I'm telling you, Christian, that being a fan, the difference between being a fan and a follower, it, it ha- comes down to one and only, or he's just one among many. He's not an additive to our life. He is our life. Paul said, in him we live, move, and have our being. Amen, oh, a- amen Pastor Bruce. That's, I, I amen myself. That's fine. The third one, the difference between a fan and a follower is this, rules or relationship. Rules or relationship. Many people can follow the religious rules. It's harder to be in a relationship with the one who sets the boundaries. Christian, we are not following a list of do's and don'ts. If you're in love with Jesus, it's not about that. Come on now. If you're in love with Jesus, it ain't about what, what we do and what we don't do. It's about loving him. It's about honoring him. It's about being pleasing to him. Because if you're in love with Jesus, it has nothing to do with I can't go here, I can't do this, I can't say that, I can't be like that, I can't participate in that. No, it's like I don't want to be there, I don't want to say that, I don't want to go there, I don't want to be a part of that. And then the opposite is, but I want to be in the house of the Lord, I want to praise Him, I want to hear some more about Jesus, somebody talk about Him, I want to hear a word from God that doesn't compromise, I want to 
to know more about him. That's the difference, my dear friend. You can live in rules and go to church and do right and do what is right and still not have relationship. I, I, I beg you, Christian, abandon the concept of just going A, B, C, and D. Just give your heart to Jesus and you'll do A, B, C, and D naturally because you love him. Because you love him. Jesus doesn't need fans. He needs followers. Number two. Jesus doesn't need spectators. He needs laborers. Like I said, many people will come to church to watch the leadership burn. But it's another thing for you to burn altogether. I feel like my job this morning is to recruit spectators into participants. I feel like you need to abandon the concept of watching things happen and start being somebody who makes things happen. You will never have a harvest if you don't plant. You can't have a crop without the seed time. Hello, amen? Everybody's looking for the harvest, but they haven't been planting anything. Lord, how come you haven't anointed me? How come you haven't used me? How come you haven't given me a place of ministry? How come you haven't elevated me in a place that I can do something for you? Well, what have you been planting in your life that will allow you to be a part of that? Because you reap what you sow, my dear friend. And if, it, and, and, and if you're sowing a whole lot of TV time and not a lot of Bible time, I can tell you why you're not getting it. If you're sowing a whole lot of a whole lot of friend time and, and companion time and you're not sowing prayer time, I can tell you why God ain't speaking. If you're sowing a whole lot of I gotta eat this food and get myself filled up and you're not sowing some fasting, I can tell you why you're not drawing closer. So what I'm telling you, the difference, what we need today in Christianity is not people to spectate what's happening, but to be a part of the work that is going on, to get involved in it. Now, I am, I am a huge soccer fan. I love soccer. I just, it's my sport. I, many people in America love American football. I like Mexican football, amen. I like Spanish football. I like, I, I like Italian football. I mean, it, all, the rest of the world knows it except America. And, and I, am, I am a huge soccer fan, huge soccer fan. And many people ask me what I think about the best player in the world. And there are two names that pop up immediately in every soccer player's mind, Messi and Ronaldo. Anybody here know those names? Okay, okay. Thank, thank you, Zach. My friend back there plays soccer. He, he likes soccer, too. And the thing about Messi and Ronaldo is I sit up in the, I sit at, actually, I don't even get to sit in the stands. They play in, in Italy, and they play in Spain, so I don't get to see them at all. But I sit on my couch, and I watch them play. And I like to watch them play. I know their names, I know all those things about them. I know their little tricks and, and things they do when they play. I, I know the, 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 way they, the way they play. And I can, even, I can even tell you all the details about what makes them great. If you were to ask me one day, who's better, Messi or Ronaldo? I'll say it depends. It depends because Messi is so good, he makes, his team makes Messi good. But Ronaldo's so good that he makes his team good. So it just depends on 
how you look at it for the moment. And I could, I could sit and debate and argue. You know why? Because I'm a good spectator. Put me on the field with Messi and Ronaldo. And this fat boy won't be able to keep up. Why? Because I've been eating donuts. Watching them play. Why? Because I've been a spectator, not a participant. Why? Because I haven't trained like they have. But here's the thing. In the house of God, many people want to be elevated to the place where they are playing in the big leagues, but they have not developed themselves in the lower leagues. They didn't even play peewee. They didn't even learn how to do it, but yet they want to be elevated. to that. So I say to you, quit being a spectator eating donuts while other people work and get to be a part of the kingdom of God and become a laborer for the kingdom of God, and you will find that the power of God flows not through those who watch those who work, but through those who are are willing to work. All right, praise God. You see, we need to see more than people. We need to see more than people just serving God by attending church. We need to see a faithfulness in the people. You see, the thing is, is that spectators watch others elevate a place. But when you become a laborer for God, you will elevate places. You will turn your living room into a sanctuary. Hospital rooms will become healing centers. You will become the one who sees signs and wonders because you're working for the king. And you're not watching others work. So Jesus doesn't need spectators. He needs laborers. He doesn't need fans. He needs followers. Number three, Jesus doesn't need talent. He needs worshipers. I can tell you right now that the church doesn't operate on a polished environment when it comes to praise and worship. Matter of fact, I will tell you that the best singers I've ever heard can't carry a tune in a bucket. There was one man back in California, his, his name was Brother King, and I loved Brother King. He let me preach one of my first revivals. He was a great man of God, loved him dearly. And he tolerated my horrible preaching as a young preacher. And he let me minister in his church. But he used to sing a song. He reached down his hand for me. And he could not even, we couldn't even, I couldn't play the drums for him. They couldn't play the piano for him. He would just start singing. And we don't, I don't even think there was a key to be found. There definitely wasn't a beat. So I just didn't play the drums. The piano would hit a note periodically just by chance. And, and it, would just, it, it just did not have anything. But man, I love to hear him sing that. It was absolutely not anything you would want to see on American Idol. On any of them popular you know, uh, music shows, they would have laughed him to scorn because he wasn't talented. But there was something deeper. Can I, amen? There's something deeper than talent. Because we can put talented people up here and they can be gifted without the anointing. You can have talent and not have God. And we as the church should never sacrifice the presence of the Holy Spirit for talented people. Come on, amen? 
That should never, ever be sacrificed. Because I can tell you right now, I will take the people who can't sing and keep a tune in a bucket over the talented folks because the ones who can't sing and and keep a tune, they're in touch with Jesus and they can bring the Holy Ghost down a whole lot quicker than anybody who's got talent in the house. And so I can tell everyone in this church, if you want more of God, become a worshiper and abandon the whole concept that you can just get this done or you can just accomplish it because you got some talent. No, no, no. Become a worshiper. Become a worshiper. God is not impressed by your gift. God isn't up there going, oh, there they are. That's the one I wanted. God makes donkeys talk. He doesn't need you. Come on, amen. He doesn't. He doesn't need you. And I can tell you compromise in this area is detrimental to the moving of the Spirit of God in the house of God. When we compromise the standard of who God is and we compromise the truth of God because we got somebody who's sitting in our pew who can actually play an instrument and they're gifted and they can sing and carry tunes and we like that so we put them up there so they can lead us. I can tell you right now, you compromise that, you lose the presence of the Holy Ghost and you lose the presence of His Spirit and we cannot sacrifice talent for true worship. For those who worship him will worship him in spirit and in truth. And I can tell you that people who, I've, I've, I, I, I'm going to just be honest. and I, Forgive me, praise and worship. You guys are phenomenal. I am not preaching at you. Please know that. that uh, that's not it. I, I can tell you that I, I, the greatest problem I have in ministry is worship. I have more struggles with worship than anything because many people are talented and they know it. And because they know it, I'm not, again, I'm not preaching to my praise and worship team, so don't you even take this to heart. You just this, understand that because you guys are phenomenal and I love you and you're faithful and I love you. Don't, don't even be offended. Amen? Yes. Thank you. But I've had more turnover in the praise and worship department than anywhere. Because I have, and I've literally just, I've said this throughout the years now, for the past probably 15 years, I've said praise and worship teams are fickle. One minute they're, woo, let's get them excited, let's get them going, let's, I'm excited to be a part of the church. Hey, use me, I got a gift, I got a talent. So I'm like, oh, praise the Lord, come on, let's, let's work together for Jesus. And sooner or later they quit. Because all of a sudden, now they got to have more than just a talent. they got to have God. And the people aren't moved by their little twang or their their little spill or their little talent. Because the Spirit of God moves. See, we worship God in spirit. We need His Spirit. And if you're in touch with Him, you will be able to use your talent for the glory of God. But we also worship Him in truth. The two walk hand in hand, my dear brother. And if we abandon the truth for talent, we have literally missed the whole point. We need his truth to guide us while we worship. That's why I like hymns. Because hymns are birthed out of the truth of God's word. 
And I'm, don't, where's, Zach ain't here, good. He can, I'd say, plug your ears, Zach. He likes a lot of this modern stuff. And I just be honest, I'd rather hear a hymn. That's me. Don't, and, and I don't, you know, I guess I'm an old fuddy-duddy. I don't, I, I, but I have no problem with, you know, some of the modern choruses and stuff. But I can tell you, I'll take, I'll fly away all day long. I will take, tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. I will take, I never shall forget the day. I will take some of these great songs like He Brought Me Out. He brought me out of my reclaim. Come on, doctrine's in there. He put my feet on the rock to stay. He gave a song in my heart today. A song of praise. Hallelujah. I care not today what tomorrow may bring. If shadow or sunshine or rain. The Lord I know rules over everything, and all of my worry is vain. I'm living by faith in Jesus above, trusting, confiding in his great love. There's doctrine all in that. I felt the Holy Ghost just saying it. It's powerful stuff because we worship him not just by what moves us emotionally, but it's the truth that actually brings it out. So, brother, you can take your talent and put it to the side. Give me somebody who's in touch with the Spirit. Give me somebody who knows the truth, and they will sing it with all their heart, and the glory of God will come down. Some of the greatest services I've seen on, on YouTube were in the jungles of Africa under a hut where they don't even have a musical instrument. Just some folks out there dancing in the trees and jungles praising God. And they don't, they're not in tune. They're not even in sync. One person's dancing crazy over there and another one's dancing crazy over there. But there's something unified underneath that, the stars out there while they're praising Him because they're praising Him for who He is and what He's done and how good He is. Not because someone on the platform is gifted or talented or they're good at worship. No, they got a hold of the one who it's all about. I'm telling you, give me worshipers over talented folks any day. Number four. Jesus doesn't need perfection. He needs humility. I think one of the worst things the enemy can try to do is tell you you're not perfect. You never will be. <laughs> we are not God's gift to this. We are not perfect in any way. There are flaws in every single one of us. Pastor included. Every single one of us have flaws Tailor-made sins that come from our past that are hard to get past and over. Difficulties from our own personal struggles. Things that I guarantee you that if we were to be brutally honest in this house, it would shock everyone in here of everything every person struggled with this week. I guarantee it. It would shock you. It's a perfect example that Jesus doesn't demand perfection. He wants humility. It's always the humble that God lifts up. It's always the humble that God exalts. Not the ones who come in polished and looking perfect. Listen, you can fool everyone in here, but there is no fool in God. 
you might be able to put a nice tie on. I put my tie on today. Did you see that? I put my tie on today. And, and, and you might be able to wear nice clothes. A nice blue shirt makes you stand out in black pants. You know, that nice. You might be able to dress nice and put nice shoes on and put some cologne on. But I can tell you, you cannot cover up the things that God smells in your life. Nothing on this world is going to cover that up. And nothing on this world is going to polish that. We are not perfect. We just need to admit it and be humble about it and say, Father, I'm thankful that you didn't demand perfection from me. You just demanded me to come. So with humility, I humble myself and I come before you, not because I've got it together, but because I know you got it together and you're the one who can take care of where I am. Jesus doesn't need your perfection. He needs your humility. Number five, Jesus doesn't need a new program. He needs spirit-filled believers. I am so sick and tired of self-help books. Five steps, ten steps, twelve steps. I, I, as a pastor, I, I get inundated with, with emails and stuff that say, Grow your church. Let me show you how we grew ours. Like, like there's some knack to it. Like there's a, like there's a groove you get in and, and that's how you grow it. I can tell you I've, I've preached people right out of this church. They don't like what I had to say. They didn't like the manner in which I said it. But the ones who want more of God and are hungry, they say amen. And so I find that stuff to be silly and, and pointless because why in the world would I, would I go to some, someone who grew a church? And then I ask myself, what did you compromise? That you made even the sinners like you. Because if you look at the life of Jesus, he was offensive. He called people whited sepulchers, dens of vipers, brood of vipers, he called them. I mean, he was mean. Mean to some folks, especially the religious folks. And the sinners, some of them just outright rejected him and who he was. And cried, give us Barabbas, give us Barabbas, give us Barabbas. Rejected him. God, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't see how the light can truly fellowship with darkness without one affecting the other. I can tell you I am excited about the day in which we live. I'm excited because I feel like the church shines the brightest in the most difficult times. You look back at history, great revival didn't come when everything was peachy and honky-dory. It came in the darkest hours of history. And the church thrives. It's thriving right now in China in secret. Millions upon millions of Chinese people are hiding in, in houses and in hidden caverns, worshiping the Lord today. 
in a government that says, we'll put you in jail or we'll kill you if we find a Bible in your hands. They can't shut it up. Can't stop it. Why? Because it's not a program, my dear friend. I said it's not a program. Only in America can we come up with such gimmicks. Foolish gimmicks that say, if we do one, two, and three, you'll get four. So if you get up there, Pastor Bruce, and you just don't talk about sin anymore, and all you do is talk about mistakes, you change the word repentance to a commitment and say, don't come down and repent and be sorrowful, but just say, come make a commitment to the Lord. And you change that, you, you, you'll, you'll, you'll probably keep some folks. And don't talk about pet sins. You know, don't talk about smoking, drinking, sex, or any of those things. Don't, talk, don't, don't, don't beat on those things because, because people don't like that. So just water it down, compromise it a little bit, and, and, then, and then, then you'll fill the pews up. With what? More trouble? More backbiting? More God deal enough with that with good folk that love Jesus? Fighting the, the good fight of faith. I don't need to deal with that with the, with the folks who don't care. Man, that's the worst thing to do. This ain't no social club. This ain't no religious social club. This isn't a step program. This isn't AA. This is deliverance. Amen. This, 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 has, this is not a, 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 a drug rehabilitation program. This is a come down, get delivered program. Amen. This is a spirit-filled place where the Holy Spirit has his way. And the, and the sinners feel what we call old-fashioned conviction. Come on, somebody. Where they feel the guilt and the weight of the sin in their life. And they don't come down and make a commitment and say, I'm going to commit myself to you. They come down saying, oh God, I've sinned against you, God. Forgive me for my transgressions. I, I blot them out. Pull me out of my sin. That is what the church is. This is a place for the sinner to repent, the saint to be glorified and glorify the name of the Lord. The place for the Spirit of the Lord is edified. And I can tell you right now, we don't need a new program. We just need the Holy Ghost. We don't need a new program, a five-step. We need the Spirit of God in this house where God moves and he has his way. We didn't we did not blast people out there in the streets when I first came here as pastor. Come on to church. We didn't do any of that. The Holy Ghost just started sending them and they started coming and they started coming. Hungry saints started coming. Sinners started coming and they got saved. Why? Not because I was gifted or talented, but the Spirit of God began to draw them in. Oh, I pray that this church experiences another revival that when they drive down this street, they say, I gotta check out that church. I gotta find out what's going on in there. Something's alive in that place. There's a fire in the house of God again. Did I turn purple? <laughs> I tried not to. Amen. I remember a story. Melissa, come to the piano. Remember the story of a man, they couldn't get him to come to church. He was an atheist. And, and he refused to come and they'd invite him. And pretty much it was a community church because there wasn't any other churches really in town. And small community. Everyone knew everybody basically. 
And one day the church caught on fire. Not, not spiritually, literally caught on fire. And the whole community was out there trying to put the fire out in the church. And one of the brothers looked over at the atheist who was standing next to him and said, Brother, this is the first time I've ever seen you in church. And the atheist said, this is the first time I've ever seen the church on fire. I say to you that that's exactly what our problem is. We don't need a program to get people in here because they like our children's ministry or because they like the way we do ministry or because we got all the talented people in the right places because we organized it perfectly. No. You need to understand that we're not looking for perfect organized religion. We're looking for the moving of the Spirit of God. And that demands spontaneity. That demands that we be willing to change our agenda so that He can have His way. That means we may sing a song that isn't on the list. That means I may not preach the sermon that I actually prepared to preach all week long. That means the song service may not end all day long. That means that when revival comes, all the saints are running to the house of the Lord every night of the week to just get in touch with Jesus. That's what it means. And so I say to you, Christian, is there any areas in your life that you need to pull over and let Jesus beat you with his flip-flop and get redirected? Get redirected. Because I can tell you these are areas we just cannot compromise. We need to keep our heart with all diligence. For out of it comes the issues of life. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning?